Good morning. My name's Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Uh, before we actually jump into exploring God's will, I want to mention two things. Um, the first one is about our reading journal. Uh, this is uh, something we do. If you're here week in and week out, you hear us talk about this almost every week before uh, whoever it is preaching. Right before they uh, preach, they talk about this at some level. We are passionate about helping people engage for themselves personally the word of God. Hearing, reading, um, seek, seeking, and getting to know God in the scriptures for themselves. So what we've done is we put together a reading plan that kind of runs in conjunction with our uh, messages that then we encourage people at large to kind of say, hey, I'll jump into that reading plan and encourages an accountability and helps encourage engagement. Uh, we believe with all our heart that we believe in a principle called the keystone habit. What a keystone habit is, it's, it's, uh, it's not necessarily a spiritual principle. It's just a principle of life that says, if I'm going to change one habit, a keystone habit is, are those habits that when you change that one habit, it naturally then triggers a whole series of other things that just naturally happen. So we'll say at times, maybe a keystone habit would be, I'm going to go to bed earlier, one hour earlier every night. So a lot of times, if you look at the research, people that go to make that their habit, it, naturally then they start working out, they start um, eating better because going to bed early triggers a whole string of other stuff that just naturally takes place. We believe reading God's word is one of those keystone habits. So we want to encourage you to do it. The new journals are here. We'd also say we know the summer, you know, vacation, taking a break, kids off from school, uh, the fall's coming around. It's a great time to get reengaged. So they're out there. They start in two weeks. Uh, we'll also have the actual plans themselves. You're not into the journals. Um, they will also have them available next week. Next thing I want to mention is just some family business. Uh, we're as a church, uh, you heard Grant say it, we're here to introduce people to Jesus, um, help, help them grow and then embrace his family. Uh, so we are a family and as the family suffers, we like to walk with those who are hurting. want to mention, um, again, so if you're a guest, it's kind of why we talk about some of this stuff from the stage. I want to mention one of our leaders, are, we're, we're led by a group of men that we call elders. It's the term the scriptures give them. Um, they are oversee. It's a group of men that lead our church and make kind of give the oversight. Cliff Snader, one of our elders, some of you know him, his father passed away this week. So as I'm going to pray here for the message, just want to encourage you to be praying for him. Some of you who know him, I know this viewing, the viewing was last night. There is a funeral this afternoon at 2.30 at Weaverland Mennonite Church, right uh, not far from us here. So again, be praying for Cliff and uh, his family. Will you join me in prayer as we open up, um, just kind of hearing from God and what he has to say about his will. God, thank you so much um, for Jesus. Thank you for um, your word. Uh, thank you for friends and family and the church. God, as we gather here now, uh, all of us coming from different walks of life, different things in our heart, different things kind of occupying those spaces inside of us. God, help us all to uh, set some of that aside and, and really push in and lean in and, and hear from you. God, we anticipate you to speak and help us to listen and respond well. God, would you uh, guide and direct my tongue? I put a lot of time into study this week. And again, um, may we uh, just hear from you, hear from you clearly. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your spirit. And thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. As we continue in our series, one of the things that you hear me talk about a lot, and you've um, probably get to, may even tired of hearing this, but I say this a lot, it's a deep-held passion of mine, and that is every single one of you in this room is created in the image of God. 
Every single one of you, even if you're here this morning and the only reason you're here is because you lost a bet to a friend and he says, Hey, I got to go to church with me now. If, even if that's you, or maybe you're here because mom or dad drug you along, or maybe husband or wife drug you along, or, you know, you're sitting here saying, you know what, Adam, I'm not even sure I'm all into this thing. Or maybe you're here saying, you know, Adam, I know I'm not all into this thing. And I may even consider myself an agnostic or even an atheist. What is true of every one of you, whether you're an atheist or a Jesus lover, you are created in the image of God, every single one of you. And that has profound implication. One of the implications of that is you can relate to God in a way that my goldfish at home, actually it's my daughter's goldfish and her guinea pig cannot. You can relate to God in ways that no other part of creation can. God, it says in scriptures, created us in his image. He created us with a purpose. He created us to rule and to reign, to have autonomy, to move forward in life. And he says, I've given you a unique purpose. Now, the reality is many in this room, Sikadam, I know that, but my experience is guilt and shame. Well, that's because sin is a part of the picture. Sin has entered the picture and that beautiful image that has been stamped on us is marred and it's, it's struggling and it's broken. So Jesus steps forward and Jesus says, hey, listen, I've come to restore. I've come to make new. I've come to bring life where there was once death and I've come to make it so that that image bearer that we, that we are can then walk into the throne room, walk into that relationship with our God that we were created to walk in and find life. So again, we've been talking about it. Every one of us is created with a purpose, with a unique plan. And that's why we said in week one, just kind of way of review, God has a good plan for your life and it starts with Jesus. So I embrace Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus, my trust in Jesus, whatever word uh, kind of works with you, a lot of different words used there. But I put my faith in Jesus. He restores that relationship with God. And I begin to walk then as I've been designed to walk towards the purpose that God has called me to. Then last week we said, okay, now listen, after I have Jesus, that's what we call saved. I'm saved. Some of you know the term born again, or, um, you know, now I'm a Christian because I have my faith in Jesus. And we say, listen, the Bible makes it clear. I don't just live saved. I'm to live called. So God has called you to something. God has uniquely gifted you and wired you for a purpose. And he's called you to that. So what is it? So last week, the challenge was, let's get out of the boat. Let's get out of the deep waters, get out of the boat. Let's take a risk. God, I hear what you've called us to, and I'm going to run after it. Now to do that, we said, to do that really well, we said, you know, God's will is really not that complicated. A lot of God's will, a lot of his calling is very black and white. I mean, nine-tenths of God's will, I would say, is written right here for us. It's clear. So what we talked about last week is that simply living, focusing on what you know for sure will really begin to clear up the confusion, right? So, okay, so God says, if you've been reading your reading plan, uh, 1 Thessalonians, you read the passage, it is God's will that you stay sexually pure. Well, that's God's will for me to live with sexual purity. As I live with sexual purity, that's the clarity. If I live with the clarity that I know for sure, the confusion begins to clear up as I walk with boldness and courage and step out into the deep water. Now, here's the one this morning that you say, Adam, I hear that. (laughs) I get it. But most people that are interested in studying the will of God, it's this confusion word that drives them into this study. It's the gray. It's the decisions that we make that we're really not sure about, that we want to be sure about. Whether they're small decisions like for our family this summer, we try to decide which weekend do we have a yard sale. We don't do it the weekend that Terry Hill does it. 
We make more money when we don't do it that weekend. What we discovered, we want to make money. That's why you do a yard sale. Get rid of your junk and make money. So what weekend do we do it? Well, it's a simple little tiny decision. It's not a big thing. It's not radically life altering, but it's important because the weekend we do it, it ties up Tanya. It takes a ton of family time. And there's all this. So which is the right weekend for our calendar? Or maybe another small decision like I had to make this early in the summer was which car to buy. You know, my van breaks down and don't want to go into big, go take a big car payment. I got $3,000 to put on a car. I do all this work and all this research. It comes down to two cars, a 1999 Lexus with 109,000 miles on it or a 2006 Volkswagen Beetle with 120,000 miles on it. Which do I buy? Right? And you think, well, it's a kind of a silly decision, but I want to make the right decision. Right? Or you get into the big ones, some of the big ones, like which college do I go to? Which career do I pursue? Who do I marry? How many kids do I have? Do we move with our four kids across the country or across the globe to pursue the career that God has called me to or, or the ministry that he's called me to? So some of the big ones, some of the ones that you say, well, okay, Adam, you say focus on the clarity. Well, I don't know. I didn't look anywhere in the Bible and find thou shalt buy the Volkswagen Beetle. Just don't put a flower in it. <laughs> I didn't find it. I'm still debating the flower thing. I don't think I'm going to put one in, but the little vase sits there empty. And I think it is so sad, empty. We should put something in that. <laughs> I didn't open up a verse in the Bible that said, thou shalt marry Tanya Brahm. Who then, <laughs> she's, <laughs> it's there. It's, it's uh, <laughs> Hezekiah 1010, I found it. We don't find verses that give us that kind of direction. So what do we do? Okay, so you say, Adam, I hear you. It starts with Jesus. Okay, that was week one. Okay, I hear you. Focus on the clarity, the absolute certainties of scripture. Okay, and then just step out in what God has called you to do. But what has he called me to do? And especially in some of these areas of confusion, how do we handle that? That's where we're going to go this morning. And God has given us an incredible gift. And it starts, I want to give you one verse. Throughout this series, I've been trying my best to, to show different verses in Scripture that capture this image of God's will. Here's one that's going to kind of set the stage for us, I think, this morning. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to 13, it says this, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. So this is a pastor who hung out with a group. He kind of got this church. It's up and running. He's now traveling as a missionary. He's writing back to them. He says, listen, when I was there with you, you followed my instructions. And now that I'm away, it is even more important, work hard to show the results of your salvation. So listen, just because you're saved, don't just go take a break. I mean, allow this, what God is doing, allow it to show and demonstrate, get these works out, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Now, next, I love this. One of my favorite sentences in the Bible for God is working where for God is working in you. Giving, you know, look what he's doing. So God is in you. He's in you doing something. He's working in you for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. God's will. God is in you. I love this. God is, it's a promise. It's a, it's an instructional truth. He is there. He is in you. He is working in you and he's working in you to, to lead you in a way that you're ultimately going to do what pleases him. I want to take this deeper with us. If you turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Again, if you're new to the Bible, maybe new to the church, welcome. 
I want to give you a big welcome. Bethany just says, hey, we want to roll the red carpet out to those of you who are unchurched. Maybe the Bible's brand new uh, to help you with that. We've put some Bibles in the seats in front of you. Feel free to grab one there. If you don't have one, we'd say, hey, take that one home with you. Um, And then Romans 8 can be found in that Bible on page 941. Romans chapter 8. Remember, God is working in you. Here comes verse 26. It says this, and the Holy Spirit helps us. Okay, so God is in us. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. I love this. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. So again, here's this confusion. What do I want in life? What does God want from me in life? Where should I go to college? Who should I marry? What should I do with this broken relationship? How do I step towards this person? Uh, what do I do with my career? What is it that God, so God, for example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the father who knows all hearts knows what the spirit is saying for the spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. What a cool verse. What a cool promise. So Philippians 2 says, God is in you. He is in you working. And here we have, here's how he works. Here's what's happening. We have the Holy Spirit. Now, next week, we're going to talk at a little more length of John chapter 14 and 16. So I'm not going to turn and read them or show them this morning, but John chapter 14 through 16, what's happening in that section, Jesus is hanging out with his buddies, his disciples. He's been with them for three years. They've given everything to follow him. They kind of have this image that he is going to set up this kingdom and they're going to kind of be their right hand, Jesus's right hand men. Well, suddenly he steps forward. He says, listen, guys, I'm gone. I'm leaving you. And they're freaking out. They're like, you're leaving us. He says, I have to leave you because if I don't leave you, you're never going to get the Holy Spirit. See, because Jesus, what he's teaching, he says, listen, I'm going to go so that you can do even greater things than I have done. And it's only going to be possible if I go. The reason it's going to be possible is because when I'm here on earth, Jesus is saying to them, I'm hanging out with Peter. It's just Peter and me. I mean, we're, we're buds. We're talking. Well, when I'm hanging out with Peter over here is James and John, I can't be with them, but I'm going to go back to heaven. When I go to heaven, I'm going to send someone. His name's the Holy Spirit. He's fully God. He's going to come so that when I'm hanging out over here with Peter, Over here, we're still hanging out with James and John too. So Jesus now can be everywhere present. And I believe that's what it means when he says he's going to do, we're going to do even greater things than what he did is because right now in this room, if you are a believer in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. See, if Jesus never went back to heaven, he could be hanging out over here and who he's hanging out with over here. That's all you got. But when all believers have now God living in them, And John says, here's why he's there. I've given you, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's some of the words it says, if you read through John 14, 16, I'm going to teach you. So he's coming to teach us. He's going to guide us into all truth is the phrase the scriptures use. He's going to counsel. He's going to comfort. And then the one I love, he's going to convict. He's going to convict the world of sin. It says in the later sections there of John 14 through 16. So you have the Holy Spirit. Now, what I love about this, when you look at John chapter, or Romans chapter 8, it says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. As I was putting this together this week, I, I heard God's voice say to me, Adam, there are people in this room that need to hear that. There are people in this room, they're going to be talking to Adam, that, that know that intellectually, but they need to really know it in their heart. 
God helps you in your weakness. How many of you in this room right now would say, you know what? I'm weak. I'm weak. I mean, maybe for you, uh, weakness could, it's different for each person. Maybe you're in a place where you're just like, I just don't know what to do. Maybe some of you, you're young people and you're saying, man, I'm going to, I'm going off to college in another week or this week, or maybe you're listening to me online. You're already off at school. What do I do? I don't know where to do. I feel weak. I just feel mobilized. I don't quite know the direction to take. Or maybe some of you saying, you know what? I've got so much stress and pressure on me. I can feel it in my chest. I feel it in my body. Physically, I feel the stress. You're weak. Maybe some of you, maybe some of you, you stand tall for your family. And when you get in your car in the morning to drive away, to head off to work, to provide for that family that you love for, the tears begin to stream and they come down your cheeks hot and they come down heavy because you are carrying a load that you think no one else knows about and you are weak. Or you go to bed at night and the lights go out and you're laying there with your doubts and your fears and they're crashing in on you like waves hitting the shore and you're like, I don't know what to do. Or it's a broken relationship and you're thinking, man, I stepped towards this person. I love this person. I'm for this person. But the relationship continues to struggle. I don't know what to do. Maybe you feel alone or forgotten. We're weak. If you're human, you have those moments where you're weak. Maybe it's physical weakness. It's illness. It's a cancer. It's a prognosis from a doctor. You're weak. You know what's cool? This verse is for you. In those moments, what is God doing? He is in you and he's talking to God for you in a way that we don't even understand and can't put words to it. He's speaking to God and he's carrying the message to us in our weakness. So that, I love what the verse says. I mean, I love how it says this. And the father who knows all hearts knows what the spirit is saying for the spirit pleads for us. Believe he pleads for us in harmony with God's own will. Isn't that awesome? Now I want to mention this next verse, verse 28. If you continue reading, didn't read this one yet. Look at this one, verse 28. Remember we said the first week, God is for you. If you're going to get through the will of God, if you're really going to chase his will, it's absolutely crucial that you know, God is for you. Here it is, verse 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So God has called you. If you're here and you say, I'm a believer in Jesus, he has called you and he's called you to be like his son, to be like Jesus. And he says, listen, I've got a plan for you and it's a good plan. Now, this isn't true of every single human being. This is, what's it say? For those who love God. He's a good God. I've got a plan for you. And it's for my purposes. It's for good. Now, some of you say, well, Adam, in my weakness, I don't sense that. I don't feel it. I love how this verse comes right after. In your weakness, God speaks for you. And you can trust him that he's good. God is a good God. All things work together for good. You know, what I've learned is when we get to a place where we question the goodness and presence of God, we lose the inner peace that we yearn for in our darkest moments. You know, in those dark, confusing moments, maybe it's those moments where you're crying or the stress or the pressure or you feel alone, we yearn for this inner peace that we know is missing. And we lose that inner peace and our soul yearns for when we question the goodness 
and presence of God. You say, Adam, you know, you don't know what I'm going through. I understand that. It can be hard. But we need to trust that God is good. He is working all things together for good. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And if I lose sight of that, I lose that inner peace and that inner voice that speaks. I think when I am absolutely sure of my standing before God, I can stand through anything. When I am so certain that God is good, when God is for me, when I am absolutely sure of that, I'll stake my life on it. Then no matter what comes my direction, I will stand through it. You know, I don't, some of you, well, we could make a whole message out of just this point. But if you're struggling any way with this here, I want to, I've just finished a book and I know I'm a big reader and some of you say, here he goes with a book again. I want, this is a, this is a, was a impactful book in my life. It's called Through the Eyes of a Lion by Levi Lusco. He's a pastor in Montana. This book just came out. He's a pastor in Montana. And a few years ago, he had his four daughters. His five-year-old daughter died just a few days before Christmas. And so he's writing from the perspective of a pastor in ministry, losing his daughter, having to leave her in the hospital, having, he describes how he leaves her, lay there in that emergency room as he walks out, he gets in the car and he sees the empty seat. He writes through the journey of pain and heartache. And the reason I love the book is because it's, it's not your typical, how do you wrestle with God in suffering? What he does throughout the book is he calls believers to live to live with purpose, to open our eyes up and see life with an eternal perspective and to run hard toward what God has called you and I to run towards. Now he wrestles with the depth of, he he talks candidly in the book about wanting to throw himself in a lake and commit suicide because he just cannot handle the pain anymore. But he ultimately comes to a place that God is good. And he walks forward with purpose. So again, I love this passage. In our weakness, we have someone, God himself living in us to speak to us and for us. So listen to him. Listen to him. And the decision that you're wrestling with, I mean, I know we run to other people, but have you asked him, God, what do you want me to do? Should I buy the Volkswagen or the Lexus? God, I won't put a flower in, I promise. If I buy the Volkswagen, should I buy the Volkswagen or Lexus? Who should I marry? Where do I go to school? Listen to him. Now you say, but Adam, how do I know it's the Holy Spirit? Well, I want to practically wrestle with this. I mean, how do I know? So you've heard people say, God told me, and you're looking, you're scratching, God really told you to do that? Or maybe you're like, well, was it just the indigestion from the pizza I ate last night? Did that, you know, God woke up in the middle of the night and had this, how do I know it's the Holy Spirit? Well, I want to give you, again, just, I'm not going to teach deep on this, but I just want to mention a couple things that maybe you can run with this week, either in your life group or your family or with some friends. Here's how you know it's Holy Spirit. This is some of the things that scripture teaches. Number one, are you being drawn to Jesus? Scripture is very clear in this. The Holy Spirit does not glorify and magnify himself. He is given to the believer to draw us to the person of Jesus. So if you're hearing what you believe to be the Holy Spirit, but your love for Jesus is not growing, I would question whether you're really hearing from the Holy Spirit. So are you being drawn in your love for Jesus? That would be thing one. Thing two, how do I know it's the Holy Spirit? Does it align with God's word? Does it align with God's word? You know, if I go to France, if I hop on a plane and fly across the ocean this afternoon and I get off and get in France, I'm going to hear people speaking what? French, right? Why do they speak French? It's a language they speak in France. You know, the Holy Spirit, you know what language he speaks? He speaks fluent Bible. 
He speaks the Bible. He will not contradict God's word because he's here, it says in John 14, to guide us in to truth. So if you're hearing things that would clearly contradict with the scriptures, it's not the, I can promise, it's not the Holy Spirit. So if you're hearing someone say to you, I feel led to marry this person, even though they don't love Jesus and they're not committed to the Christian values that I'm committed to and they're not a Christian, it's not the Holy Spirit. If you're hearing someone say, it's okay to marry someone of the same sex, Again, it's not the Holy Spirit. If you're hearing someone say, you know what? You deserve better. Divorce her. Remarry him. It's not the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll give a little clarification on that. I'm talking about simply wanting to check out a marriage. I'm not talking about a situation where there's been affairs and all that. I'm just talking about you're just in a marriage. It's hard. And you're hearing, you deserve better. I, not the Holy Spirit leading. If you're here and you know what, volunteer in that position, even though it may put your family and your time with them at risk, it's not the Holy Spirit. Because Romans 7 clearly says, Paul says, listen, I'd prefer you to remain single because if you remain single, you can be solely devoted to what God has called you to. But you get married, suddenly you have a wife, a husband, and children to care for. And it splits your allegiance. So again, if you're hearing... Yeah, I'm going to lay my family in the altar. It's not the Holy Spirit. If you're here and you know what? Keep silent. Don't confess that. You confess that, it's going to be bad. It's not the Holy Spirit. You know, God says to confess your sins to him for forgiveness. It says in James chapter 5 to confess to one another. I think we confess to one another for the healing. If you hear you don't really need the church, no, we need the church. If you hear hold on to bitterness, no one else really gets what they did to you, it's not the Holy Spirit. Or if you hear, here's a big one. If you hear the voice inside your head that says, God does not love you. I promise you it's not the Holy Spirit. So again, I need to check, okay, is it leading me to love of Jesus? Does it line up um, with the scriptures? Third one I'd say is this. Ephesians says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not, it says in 1 Thessalonians, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Is there sin in your life that you haven't confessed or is there known sin in your life that you're not dealing with? Something that you're fully aware of and you're not taking care of it. You keep pushing it off to the side. If there is sin in your life that you are not dealing with, if you've not confessed or trying to get help in or open it up to to God and others, I would question your ability to really hear clearly the Holy Spirit. The voice that you're going to hear in these situations is a voice of conviction not a voice of head to Africa, marry her, marry him, go to this school. So again, that would be the third one. The fourth one, and we're going to talk about this in all next week. So I'm not going to, do you have an inner peace and strength? You know, I hear people say all the time, you know, I, I stepped and I did this because I thought it was God's will. Then I had this turmoil inside of me. Probably you weren't hearing the Holy Spirit. There's a good chance because the scriptures talk about, I can step with the Holy Spirit and the world around me can be crumbling, but I have this inner peace inside of me because I know for certain that I'm walking in the center of God's will. And the fifth one, the fifth one, what does godly counsel have to say about it? This one's huge to me. What does godly counsel in your life have to say about it? Because see, here's the heart of this morning. 
God leads us through the counsel of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about that. And I would add wise people. It's not just the Holy Spirit. God works through people. You know, one of the things that Bethany, we're passionate about, our values is relationships. And here's how we've said it here, Bethany. You need people in your life. And we say it like this. In isolation, you cannot fully know God. Oh, you'll get to know him. You spend time in the reading plan that we lay out and you spend time, you're going to get to know him and you're going to, it's going to be rich and it's going to be meaningful, but to really deeply know God, it's got to be with people in your life. You know why? I promise you, every one of you in this room has a blind spot. In fact, statistics say, the statistics say that every human being alive on earth has 3.4 blind spots. Now, a blind spot means I can't see it. it is, I'm completely blind to it. Now, some of you know people like this, right? They walk around saying they think they're awesome at something. You're like, they're horrible. So I think if I were to stand here and sing a song and tell you that I'm an incredible, incredible artist and musician, you guys would be like, what is he? No way. So you have 3.4 blind spots. Now, I love the psalmist, Psalm 119. It says, keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. So here the psalmist just kind of recognizes we have this propensity to self-deception. I think it comes in two places. Number one, it comes to that place where I think I am really good at something and I'm actually quite poor. It also comes, I think the second place where we lie to ourselves is we lie to ourselves about one another. So someone comes and does something to you and you are hurt by it and you start reading them. Well, they hate me. They can't stand me. Then you, you start have running with these stories in your head about them. It may have nothing to do with you. They may have had a really bad day. But, but in your mind, you have this whole story created and you're not objective at all. It's like they're bad people. We lie to ourselves. And the psalmist says, hey, keep me from doing this. So how do we do it? Well, Hebrews, the writer says this. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must, how do I do that? You must warn each other every day. Pause there. Do you realize what the writer just said? It says, listen, we have this propensity to deceive ourselves. We have this propensity to have these blind spots. We have this propensity to turn from the living God who's saying, I love you. I want to give you life. So how do I avoid that? You must warn each other. How often? Not once a week. Not twice a month in your life group. Not once a month in your life group. Every day. When it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Can I say this enough? The Holy Spirit comes and steps in in your weakness and he works through people. You need people in your life if you're going to know God fully and follow his plan. Just kind of review from our Proverbs series we did this summer. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. So fools walk around, I don't need your counsel. I know what's right and I'm living it. But wise people, hey, what do you think? What do you think about this? This decision I'm going to make or this guy I'm going to marry. What do you think? How about this financial purchase? What do you think? I mean, they listen to others. Proverbs 15, 22, plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. Now, I just want to be real practical here. How do I get counsel from others? What am I looking for? Well, here's what I'd say. You don't need the guru from Tibet. You don't need the monk that sits and you don't need this. What you're looking for is someone who's proven themselves wise and trustworthy. Okay. 
So you want financial advice? You don't go to someone who's filed bankruptcy three times unless they've proven that they've learned from it and really changed their ways. Then they might have some great advice for you. You want financial advice? You go to someone who's proven that they've handled money well and have made wise decisions. You want to let them speak into you. When you're looking for someone to speak into your heart and life as a counselor, here's a couple things I've learned with wise counselors. Wise counselors listen. They listen far more than they speak. You ever sit down with that person and you start talking and right away they're telling a story about themselves or they're all of a sudden telling you their truth and it's probably not a wise counselor. You want to go to someone who listens. You want to go to someone who's objective. Okay, you can kind of look at it from all angles. See, what I've learned is when I'm sitting with someone in a broken relationship and say I go to someone for help and what do I do? And it's if that person never challenges me and says, Adam, what have you contributed to this broken relationship? They're probably not a wise counselor. I wanted someone who can stay objective and say, okay, Adam, I can see that what they did really hurt you, but what have you done to contribute? Okay, so again, you want someone who listens, you want someone who's objective. You're going to want someone who answers slow. Matter of fact, what I've learned about really good counselors, people who give good counsel, often they won't give you an answer unless you've specifically asked for it. And even then, they won't give it to you unless they really sense that you want to hear it. I'd also say this, ask people in your life who have nothing to gain or lose from your decision. You know, so you're a young person, and you're, or maybe, you have a, maybe you're married and have a couple kids, and you're feeling God calling you across the country to follow a dream or a job that you say God's, or, or maybe you want to move to some difficult place in the world to minister the light of the message of Jesus Christ. And so you sit down with your mom and dad. What do you think your mom and dad are going to think and feel? No way. You don't want to go there. You don't want to, I mean, yeah, because, why don't your mom and dad want you to go there? Because they love you. And they love their grandkids. So again, I'm not saying don't listen to mom and dad, but make sure that when you're trying to wade through some of those big questions, you're asking people that have nothing to gain or lose in the ultimate decision. Because again, your mom and dad love you and they don't want you moving to some remote part of the globe where your kids and you or lives are in danger. The other thing I'd say, let me give you another just practical point in this. How do you handle husbands and wives who disagree? Okay, husband, maybe you hear one thing. Wife, you hear another thing. What do I do? I would say, I would say, if your spouse doesn't agree, here's my, again, this is not quoting any chapter and verses. This is Adam Nagel's opinion only. Take it for what it's worth. I would say, if your husband or wife does not agree, it is either number one, not the will of God, or number two, the wrong timing. It may be that you may have heard God clearly, but God, but in through the wisdom of your wife or your husband is saying, hey, it's not the right time. You've got some things to take care of to prepare yourself for this that I'm calling you to. So again, I would say husbands, do not pull out the wives, submit to me. I don't think that's what scripture is given for. Men, I would say you don't have all of God's image. You need the female perspective. God has made you one for a reason. Listen to her. And I'd also say in Ephesians chapter 5, it tells you to submit to one another before the word is given to wives to submit to their husbands. So I would say, you feel called somewhere and you step forward and your wife says, no, I don't sense that. You didn't either hear right or you heard right. It's just the wrong time. You need to listen to your spouse to say, hey, what do you want? What do I need to do? So here's, again, 
kind of wrap this up. God leads us through the counsel of the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8. He's given to you to speak to you in your weakness, in those moments of doubt and question. And he works. It works through people. People where he is, the spirit of God is alive and well in. So I guess I'd end this way. What are you personally doing to assure yourself that you're hearing from the spirit of God? What are you actively doing? Maybe it's some of you, it's just as simple as, well, I need to start asking. Maybe it's, I need to deal with some sin in my life. Here's the one, I'll just share mine. What I'm doing, this is an area I've really, I'm really given strong attention to over the last three to four years. To the direction of a wise counselor in my life who spoke into me, who said, Adam, you have a personality that is, that is, some would call anal, if that's the word you want to use for it, very structured. We had fun in our staff meeting this past week. One of the staff was trying to fold the corner of my book because um, she knew it would absolutely flip me out because I, you know, I sit down in the meeting and I stack everything up and I got it all orderly. And they pointed out to me that I did it like five times in a matter of 10 minutes because, you know, it got moved a little bit. So I'm this kind of person. It's always logic and, you know, the end and kind of lead and the dots connect. And, you know, I'm always this logical control oriented person. So a few years ago, a wise counselor said to me, Adam, when you're in control, it's hard to hear from the spirit of God. So I've been working really hard over the last couple of years to really surrender control to God, to be able to listen to him. And I'll tell you, it's been fun. It has been so fun. It's been hard, but it's been fun. Uh, two weeks ago, I'll share with you. Um, I was in bed, I was sleeping in the middle of the night. I've never had this happen to me before. So this is the kind of stuff that's starting to happen to me. I'm starting to, the, my eyes are open. I never had this happen. Two weeks ago, I'm in bed. I'm wrestling through some things in my life and trying to make some decisions. And, and in the middle of the night, I hear a voice, an audible voice. that sounded very similar to my father. But I hear this voice and he quotes to me a Bible reference, a verse that I don't think, I, now I've read through the Bible a number of times, but I've, this verse, I've never, and I'm like, oh. so I started this, I said, kept saying it over and over in my head. I got up in the morning and I immediately turn, open it up, and I could not believe what I read. I was like, that is amazing. And I read that particular verse, and then the whole chapter, it was one of the Psalms. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, that is awesome. I really believe God just clearly, audibly spoke to me that night in my sleep and gave me very clear direction and some things I was really wrestling with um, that week. So again, I'm loving it. But it's hard. I'll tell you, it's hard, especially for those of you that are wired a little more like me, that want to be in control, control others' opinions of you, control the direction of your day, control your calendar, control the direction of the organization, control, control, control. It's hard to just step back and say, I give my life to you. I want to hear from you. and I will not move until I hear which direction you tell me to go. So, but what are you doing? I can tell you what I'm doing. What are you doing to make sure you're hearing from the Holy Spirit? Second question I'd ask, what are you doing to open yourself up to others? To truly open yourself up to others. Some of you were at the leadership summit uh, two weeks ago. Roughly 40 of us were there. You heard a speaker by the name of Sheila Heen, who is at Harvard. She's worked in the Harvard negotiation project for years, and she travels the globe working with high-powered countries and leaders in very tense situations on how to negotiate. And so through her research and through their work, they've always focused on working with the person that's giving the feedback to make sure these conversations that go well in the Middle East and other places of the world. But through their, they kept finding they still lock heads. And so through their research, they finally discovered they've had it all wrong. 
The person who controls the conversation isn't the person who's speaking and giving the feedback. It's the person who's receiving the feedback. So they began to address their, their research and they began their work to begin to talk with how do you receive feedback? Because that's what really alters a conversation. So maybe for you, are you opening yourself up to others? Maybe you need to spend some time learning how to receive feedback. You know, people won't tell you unless they believe you really want to hear. Say it again. People are not going to tell you unless they really sense you want to hear. So maybe for you in this one, what am I doing to open myself up to others? You could go to someone, trusted friend, an honest friend, and say to them, hey, what's one thing that you see me doing that you particularly appreciate? Make sure you see yourself well. And ask the second question. What's one thing that you see me not doing or failing to do that you challenge me in? But what are you doing to make sure that you're hearing from the spirit of God? And what are you doing to make sure that you have people in your life that are free and open to give feedback? And what are you doing to make sure you can receive it? Here's where I want to end. Romans chapter five. This is awesome. Romans chapter five, verse five. I read this this week in the new living. It's, I didn't ever, this was brand new. It kind of came off the page. I love reading the translation, a newer translation. I've kind of grown up reading this in NIV. This came off the pages at me this week. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the what? That's why he loves you. He gave you the spirit of God to lead you, to speak to you in your weaknesses, to guide you, to give you truth and comfort and counsel. He gave you, look at, look at what he does. I love this. This is, this is where I want to close in prayer. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit. And what's he going to do? To fill our hearts with his love. I was like, I'd never, this verse just took a whole new life. I started looking at the Greek and I just dove into this verse. And this verse just came alive to me. I was like, God has given me the Holy Spirit because he loves me. And the Holy Spirit is there to fill my heart, to constantly preach to my heart. Adam, I am for you. I love you. I'm a good God. All things work together for good for those that love me. God loves you. You are not alone. In the midst of your weakness and heartache and stress and pressure and tears and everything else that seems to crash in and that confusion where you're trying to find the answers, God loves you. And he's given you his spirit to speak to God and then ultimately talk to you. And he's whispering, I'm for you. I love you. Please hear that message this morning. I love you. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit. God, Philippians 2, I love how we opened up Philippians 2. You are working in me. The Spirit is there in my weakness. In my weakness, he is talking to you. You know me better than anyone knows me. He knows you better than anyone knows you. And so he's there as a counselor to talk and to guide God, I pray for anyone in this room that doesn't have the Holy Spirit. God, I pray right now that they would just hear and they would know and they would sense your leading and conviction. And God, the man, they say, how do I get the Holy Spirit? Well, you know what? God, all they do is cry out to Jesus and acknowledge that they're a sinner. And they place their faith in Jesus to cleanse them of that sin. And God, you promise us the Holy Spirit. Help us, those in this room that are Christians, help us to be people that are actively seeking to listen to your voice. 
God, help us to be people that are opening ourselves up to others in our lives who are, have the freedom to speak into us and give us feedback. The verse in Hebrews is so challenging. God, daily we need that so that we don't harden our hearts and stiffen ourselves to you, the living God who's offering us life and life to the full because you love us. You've created us in your image with a unique purpose. It starts with Jesus. Help us to be bold and follow what we know for certain, to get out of the boat, step into the deep water, and listen to your spirit, allowing others to walk along with us. And God, we look forward to what you're going to do in our hearts and lives and how you're going to work. God, I finally close in prayer just the weakness side of this. God, there's some people in this room that are hurting, that are hurting in deep ways. God, would right now, they know in a very special way that the spirit is there whispering to their heart, I love you. All things work together for good. I love you. God, may they hold on to your presence and sense the peace that only you offer. God, would you meet them in those places? I thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.